Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So, I love Halloween, as most people do. And because of that, I have immersed myself in a book called Rouge by Mona Awad. And this book is so interesting. And a friend suggested it, so I started to read it without knowing anything about what it was supposed to be about. I didn't read any descriptions or reviews or anything. I had no idea other than we were coming up on Halloween and there was this book that would go well with the season. So I found myself reading this book and I then later tried to explain to a friend what the book was about, and I couldn't for the life of me explain what the book was about. And I thought about that for a while, and I realized the reason I cannot explain is because this book does not fall into the categories of the monsters that we are so familiar with in American Halloweens. It is not about werewolves or vampires or Frankenstein or any of the typical monsters that we know. As you immerse yourself in the book, you're trying to sort of wrap your brain around what it's really about and what the eventual punchline is going to be. And somewhere around chapter 20 is when I realized it's not going to end the way that I expect it to. And it wasn't because it was this cliffhanger thing. It was because it's not going to end the way these things typically end. And I think what makes it so interesting is that it's another one of these stories where, as a reader, you cannot figure out what is real and what is not real. And so you end up in this place where you are enveloped in the psychological experience of the main character. And so there's a lot of memory loss and there's a lot of confusion about what is real and what is not real and you're asking yourself the question what is supernatural what is her just sort of talking to herself what is a hallucination and the author is really brilliant because towards the later part of the book the monologue of the main character starts to have Freudian slips in it. And at first, she catches herself and corrects it, and then the author just allows the slips to lie and have that be part of what the main character is saying. And so as a psychologist, reading a book like this I'm looking into 
what are the possible diagnoses here? And what are the possible mental health issues here? And I'm looking at things like memory loss and dissociative identity disorder and narcissism, which is actually discussed in one of the book reviews that I did read later. So it's just really interesting from a psychological standpoint because I think that this is kind of how mental health goes in a way. It's like we're trying to always figure out the difference between what is real and what is in our heads. And the best horror movies, in my opinion, are those that walk that line between what is real and what is not real. A TV show that I have gotten into recently is The Haunting of Hill House. And the thing that makes this different is that it's a TV series on Netflix, and it has a really good cast, and all of the cast members are people you've seen in something else somewhere else. And shout out to Timothy Hutton and Henry Thomas, because I haven't seen them in quite a while, and they are fantastic. The reason that this series is particularly good is because it's another one of those things where you have to wonder, are there ghosts or is this in somebody's imagination? Now, what makes this series excellent, in my opinion, is that the acting is so good and the series isn't just about ghosts. It's about this dynamic between various family members, people in the family who are in denial, people in the family who are calling each other mentally ill, people in the family who don't really say what's on their mind. And so there's a lot of conflict between family members and you could substitute any other subject matter into this and you could recognize how family dynamics work and how people do have conflicts in families. And so I think that the show is really enthralling, one, because you don't know what is a ghost and what is a hallucination and what is denial and what is real, but also because of the psychological conflicts between family members. Now, as I'm just sort of talking about things that are real versus not real and where the confusion lies, dreams come into mind. Now, when I was a kid, we used to have dream books at home, meaning you'd have a funny dream and then you'd consult the dream book and you would look up pigs flying and then And then the dream book would tell you, ah, you're going to come into some money or a friend will contact you or something that has nothing to do with what your dream was actually about. Years have passed since then and I have actually taken a dream course in psychology, um, specifically Freud versus Jung in their interpretation of dreams as well as I've had my own dreams analyzed from another psychologist, and I have also been working with clients on dreams and nightmares in particular. And there is an answer 
to what dreams are about. They are not the things that you would find in those books. Dreams are your own unconscious mind's way of presenting you with something that your mind needs to work through, but presenting it in a way that is palatable for you so that you will hear the lesson instead of being defensive about it. Nightmares are your mind's way of screaming lessons at you. And the words that come out of dreams, the words that are said in dreams, all of that matters to the meaning behind dreams. And once you begin to look at your dreams like that, and once you have your dreams analyzed or you are able to analyze them yourself and you start working through some of the unconscious material, your dreams will change. And if you've had a recurrent dream or a recurrent nightmare that is not related to PTSD, that's a whole other thing, But if you have something like that, that has been recurrent, as soon as you start to look at and analyze it, it will either change dramatically or go away or go away for a while. But it won't stay the same when you are learning the lessons that you were supposed to learn from dreams and nightmares. And so there's a bit of mystery that has has been taken out of what dreams mean to me. But it is kind of interesting, this line between the mysteries of life, the supernatural, and the psychological. Now, people who have had the experience of working with individuals who have dissociative identity disorder, which in the past used to be known as multiple personality disorder, They will tell you, and I can tell you, that people do change when a different part of themselves has taken over. Now, we all have parts of ourselves. You might be a mother or a father to somebody, but you're also a sister and a brother to somebody. You're also an employee. You're also a boss. You're also a friend. And so... When you are interacting with different people, different parts of you come out. You are not going to treat your child the same way that you treat your friend or your boss or your employee. You have sort of different parts of you for different interactions. Now, people who have dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, as it was formerly known, don't understand that these are parts of one personality. The feeling is that they are different people. And so each one of us has a range in our own voices, and each one of us has different ways of presenting ourselves through dress, through our hair, makeup, jewelry, whatever. And so there is a range that we all have and we use in different circumstances. And so what happens 
from a therapist's standpoint is when someone has this disorder and another personality shows up in the room, the voice will sound very different and the appearance will look very different than the last time you saw them. And they will have a different air about them. And they will have, and I have heard people say, their eyes even look different. Because they are someone else in that moment. They are a different person in that moment. And so they seem to be a different person in that moment. And I think about this a lot. When I have seen people who are dealing with severe mental illness, like some kind of psychotic disorder, when I see people like that, they have a look on their face. They have a look of fear. And they might have an odd way of dressing, or they may look a little bit disheveled or something like that. And I often look at people like that, and I wonder what they would look like if they weren't scared and they weren't hallucinating all the time. What their appearance would be if they had it all together, if they were more stable and secure on the inside, what they would actually look like. And I can imagine it. And it's very interesting how what's going on on the inside changes what's going on on the outside. And this is one of those things where it is almost supernatural in real life what's happening with people. And I have witnessed this in a more obvious way, like when somebody gets to rehab and they just came off the street and they've been homeless for a while and they're kind of a mess. And then months into treatment, they've been sober and they've cut their hair and they've cleaned up their clothes and they're communicating more appropriately. Huge difference. And that's obvious, right? That's obvious when someone goes from being under the influence to not being under the influence. There's a huge change. But I can also tell you that it is almost supernatural. When I first meet people and They are in crisis, and their life has been plagued by trauma. And they have this way of not really being present in the room. And even a lot of times, people who come in with trauma aren't really good at being present in the room when difficult things happen. And so therapy can be a difficult thing in the beginning. And what happens is a lot of times people will dissociate. They will kind of leave the room without physically leaving the room for a minute. Now, because I deal with dissociation quite regularly, 
I have conversations with people about let's watch for this and let's notice when it's happening and let's take a different direction if things are getting too difficult and you begin to dissociate because dissociation is a coping skill. But it is like leaving your body so that you can get away from a place or a situation without actually walking out of it. Now, what happens is over time, when we do the work that we do, people stop dissociating. They stop leaving their bodies when they are in the therapy room because they get some coping skills and it becomes safe to deal with the issues on the inside and they feel much, much better and they're able to tolerate difficult things. Now, what happens is they have a different look on their faces. People like this, people who come in and they have a significant trauma history and they do dissociate and they can kind of look like a deer in headlights and they can look like they're there, but they're not there. And they really are there, but not there. They're kind of ghost-like. And what happens is after time working with people, them working through their stuff and getting confidence and being present in the room, they have a changed look on their face. They look like a different person. There is a confidence in their face. There is a sparkle in their eye. They look like someone else. And this is all almost like what we would call shape-shifting in a way. Now, people aren't going from being looking like an animal to looking like a human. It's not like that. But it is like looking like one human being and changing into looking like another human being. It's crazy. And this is crazy stuff that we witness every day as therapists, as psychologists. And there's a guy by the name of Sean Koss that I think is awesome because he's an artist who I think is awesome because he is an artist who made a book that is illustrations of mental illness. And basically he took all of the psychological disorders and drew them like monsters. And the, he... He has created a personification, or I don't know what you call it when it's a monster, but he has created monsters to represent all the different mental disorders. And it's fantastic. And kudos to him for helping us to kind of see what it feels like to have these disorders. And this is another way of walking that line between what is real and what is not real because mental disorders, many of them are like monsters. And Taylor Swift has this awesome song called Antihero, which is very popular, but kind of talks about this line between 
mental health issues inside of her and how she comes across to other people. Part of the lyrics go, and I'm a monster on the hill. Too big to hang out, slowly lurching toward your favorite city, pierced through the heart but never killed. And it's just about her and sort of how she can't live as a normal person and how her fame sort of prevents her from being a normal person. But she does mention depression and narcissism and all those things. So it's really cool that she has created this song that really kind of captures this idea of that line between villains and monsters on the inside and reality. And so I would encourage you to take a look at this line between what is real and what is not real, both for fun, because it is Halloween season, and just to question. And I would encourage you to question the difference between real and not real from a psychological standpoint. What is in your head? What have you created as monsters in your own head or villains in the people around you or even started thinking of yourself as a villain or a monster? And what is real? And who are the villains and monsters and who are the good people in your life? And what is happening with you on the inside? What are you plagued by? What poison plagues you? What are you in denial about? And what is real? So with that, I would say, Happy Halloween. And thank you for listening.